Chapters 30 through 32 of A House of Gentlefolk by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 30 As he was coming away from the Kalitins, Lavretsky met Panshin. They bowed coldly to one another. Lavretsky went to his lodgings and locked himself in. He was experiencing emotions such as he had hardly ever experienced before. How long ago was it since he had thought himself in a state of peaceful petrifaction? How long was it since he had felt, as he had expressed himself, at the very bottom of the river? What had changed his position? What had brought him out of his solitude? The most ordinary, inevitable, though always unexpected event, death? Yes, but he was not thinking so much of his wife's death and his own freedom as of this question, what answer would Lisa give Panshin? He felt that in the course of the last three days he had come to look at her with different eyes. He remembered how, after returning home, when he thought of her in the silence of the night, he had said to himself, if only that if only in which he had referred to the past, to the impossible, had come to pass, though not as he had imagined it. But his freedom alone was little. She will obey her mother, he thought. She will marry Panshin, but even if she refuses him, won't it be just the same as far as I am concerned? Going up to the looking-glass, he minutely scrutinized his own face, and shrugged his shoulders. The day passed quickly by in these meditations, and evening came. Lavretsky went to the Kalitins. He walked quickly, but his pace slackened as he drew near the house. Before the steps was standing Panshin's light carriage. Come, thought Lavretsky, I will not be an egoist. And he went into the house. He met with no one within doors, and there was no sound in the drawing-room. He opened the door and saw Marya Dmitrievna playing piquet with Panshin. Panshin bowed to him without speaking, but the lady of the house cried, Well, this is unexpected, and slightly frowned. Lavretsky sat down near her and began to look at her cards. Do you know how to play piquet? she asked him with a kind of hidden vexation and then declared that she had thrown away a wrong card panshin counted ninety and began calmly and urbanely taking tricks with a severe and dignified expression of face so it befits diplomatists to play this was no doubt how he played in petersburg with some influential dignitary whom he wished to impress with a favorable opinion of his solidity and maturity. A hundred and one, a hundred and two, hearts, a hundred and three, sounded his voice in measured tones, and Lavretsky could not decide whether it had a ring of reproach or of self-satisfaction. Can I see Marfa Timofevna? he inquired, observing that Panshin was setting to work to shuffle the cards with still more dignity. There was not a trace of the artist to be detected in him now. 
i think you can she's at home upstairs replied marfa dmitrievna inquire for her lavretsky went upstairs he found marfa timofyevna also at cards she was playing old maid with nastasia karpovna roska barked at him but both the old ladies welcomed him cordially marfa timofyevna especially seemed in excellent spirits ah fedya she began pray sit down my dear we are just finishing our game would you like some preserve jurichka bring him a pot of strawberry you don't want any well sit here only you mustn't smoke i can't bear your tobacco and it makes matros sneeze lavretsky made haste to assure her that he had not the least desire to smoke have you been downstairs the old lady continued whom did you see there is panshin still on view did you see lisa no she was meaning to come up here and here she is speak of angels lisa came into the room and she flushed when she saw lavretsky i came in for a minute marfa timofyevna she was beginning why for a minute interposed the old lady why are you always in such a hurry you young people you see i have a visitor talk to him a little and entertain him lisa sat down on the edge of a chair she raised her eyes to lavretsky and felt that it was impossible not to let him know how her interview with panshin had ended but how was she to do it she felt both awkward and ashamed she had not long known him this man who rarely went to church and took his wife's death so calmly and here was she confiding all her secrets to him it was true he took an interest in her she herself trusted him and felt drawn to him but all the same she was ashamed as though a stranger had been into her pure maiden bower marfa timofyevna came to her assistance well if you won't entertain him said marfa timofyevna who will poor fellow i am too old for him he is too clever for me and for nastasia karpovna he is too old it's only the quite young men she will look at how can i entertain fedor ivanitch said lisa if he likes had i not better play him something on the piano she added irresolutely capital you are my clever girl rejoined marfa timofyevna step downstairs my dears when you have finished come back i have been made old maid i don't like it i want to have my revenge lisa got up lavretsky went after her as she went down the staircase lisa stopped they say truly she began that people's hearts are full of contradictions your example ought to frighten me to make me distrust marriage for love but i you have refused him interrupted lavretsky no but i have not consented either i told him everything everything i felt and asked him to wait a little are you pleased with me she added with a swift smile and with a light touch of her hand on the banister she ran down the stairs what shall i play to you she asked opening the piano what you like answered lavretsky as he sat down so that he could look at her lisa began to play and for a long while she did not lift her eyes from her fingers she glanced at last at lavretsky and stopped short 
his face seemed strange and beautiful to her what is the matter with you she asked nothing he replied i'm very happy i'm glad of you i'm glad to see you go on it seems to me said lisa a few moments later that if he had really loved me he would not have written that letter he must have felt that i could not give him an answer now that is of no consequence observed lavretsky what is important is that you don't love him stop how can we talk like this i keep thinking of your dead wife and you frighten me don't you think voldemar that lisetta plays charmingly maria dmitrievna was saying at that moment to panshin yes answered panshin very charmingly maria dmitrievna looked tenderly at her young partner but the latter assumed a still more important and careworn air and called fourteen kings chapter thirty one lavretsky was not a young man he could not long delude himself as to the nature of the feeling inspired in him by lisa he was brought on that day to the final conviction that he loved her this conviction did not give him any great pleasure have i really nothing better to do he thought at thirty-five than to put my soul into a woman's keeping again but lisa is not like her she would not demand degrading sacrifices from me she would not tempt me away from my duties she would herself incite me to hard honest work and we would walk hand in hand towards a noble aim yes he concluded his reflections that's all very fine but the worst of it is that she does not in the least wish to walk hand in hand with me she meant it when she said that i frightened her but she doesn't love punchin either a poor consolation lavretsky went back to vasilievskaya but he could not get through four days there so dull it seemed to him he was also in agonies of suspense the news announced by monsieur jules required confirmation and he had received no letters of any kind he returned to the town and spent an evening at the kalitins he could easily see that maria dmitrievna had been set against him but he succeeded in softening her a little by losing fifteen roubles to her at piquet and he spent nearly half an hour almost alone with lisa in spite of the fact that her mother had advised her the previous evening not to be too intimate with a man qui a un si grand ridicule he found a change in her she had become as it were more thoughtful she reproached him for the absence and asked him would he not go on the morrow to mass the next day was sunday do go she said before he had time to answer we will pray together for the repose of her soul then she added that she did not know how to act she did not know whether she had the right to make panshin wait any longer for her decision why so inquired lavretsky because she said i begin now to suspect what that decision will be she declared that her head ached and went to her own room upstairs hesitatingly holding out the tips of her fingers to lavretsky the next day lavretsky went to mass lisa was already in the church when he came in 
she noticed him though she did not turn round towards him she prayed fervently her eyes were full of a calm light calmly she bowed her head and lifted it again he felt that she was praying for him too and his heart was filled with a marvellous tenderness he was happy and a little ashamed the people reverently standing the homely faces the harmonious singing the scent of incense the long slanting gleams of light from the windows the very darkness of the walls and arched roofs all went to his heart for long he had not been to church for long he had not turned to god even now he uttered no words of prayer he did not even pray without words but at least for a moment in all his mind if not in his body he bowed down and meekly humbled himself to earth he remembered how in his childhood he had always prayed in church until he had felt as it were a cool touch on his brow that he used to think then is the guardian angel receiving me laying on me the seal of grace he glanced at lisa you brought me here he thought touch me touch my soul she was still praying calmly her face seemed to him full of joy and he was softened anew he prayed for another soul peace for his own forgiveness they met in the porch she greeted him with glad and gracious seriousness the sun brightly lighted up the young grass in the churchyard and the striped dresses and kerchiefs of the women the bells of the churches near were tinkling overhead and the crows were cowing about the hedges lavretsky stood with uncovered head a smile on his lips the light breeze lifted his hair and the ribbons of lisa's hat he put lisa and lenichka who was with her into their carriage divided all his money among the poor and peacefully sauntered home chapter thirty two painful days followed for fyodor ivanitch he found himself in a continual fever every morning he made for the post and tore open letters and papers in agitation and nowhere did he find anything which could confirm or disprove the fateful rumour sometimes he was disgusting to himself what am i about he thought waiting like a vulture for blood for certain news of my wife's death he went to the kalitins every day but things had grown no easier for him there the lady of the house was obviously sulky with him and received him very condescendingly Panshin treated him with exaggerated politeness lem had entrenched himself in his misanthropy and hardly bowed to him and worst of all lisa seemed to avoid him when she happened to be left alone with him instead of her former candour there was visible embarrassment on her part she did not know what to say to him and he too felt confused in the space of a few days lisa had become quite different from what she was as he knew her in her movements her voice her very laugh a secret tremor an unevenness never there before was apparent 
Maria Dmitrievna, like a true egoist, suspected nothing, but Marfa Timofevna began to keep a watch over her favorite. Lavretsky more than once reproached himself for having shown Lisa the newspaper he had received. He could not but be conscious that in his spiritual condition there was something revolting to a pure nature. He imagined also that the change in Lisa was the result of her inward conflicts, her doubts as to what answer to give Panshin. One day she brought him a book, a novel of Walter Scott's, which she had herself asked him for. Have you read it? he said. No, I can't bring myself to read just now, she answered, and was about to go away. Stop a minute. It is long since I have been alone with you. You seem to be afraid of me. Yes. Why so? Pray. I don't know. Lavretsky was silent. Tell me, he began. You haven't yet decided. What do you mean? She said, not raising her eyes. You understand me. Lisa flushed crimson all at once. Don't ask me about anything, she broke out hotly. I know nothing. I don't know myself. And instantly she was gone. The following day Lavretsky arrived at the Kalitins after dinner, and found there all the preparations for an evening service. In the corner of the dining-room on a square table covered with a clean cloth were already arranged, leaning up against the wall, the small holly pictures in old frames set with tarnished jewels. The old servant in a grey coat and shoes was moving noiselessly and without haste all about the room. He set two wax candles in the slim candlesticks before the holy pictures, crossed himself, bowed, and slowly went out. The unlighted drawing-room was empty. Lavretsky went into the dining-room and asked if it was someone's name-day. In a whisper they told him no, but that the evening service had been arranged at the desire of Lisaveta Mikhailovna and Marfa Timofevna that it had been intended to invite a wonder-working image, but that the latter had gone thirty versts away to visit a sick man. Soon the priest arrived with the deacons. He was a man no longer young, with a large bald head. He coughed loudly in the hall. The ladies at once filed slowly out of the boudoir and went up to receive his blessing. Lavretsky bowed to them in silence and in silence to him. The priest stood still for a little while, coughed once again, and asked in a bass undertone, You wish me to begin? Pray begin, father, replied Maria Dmitrievna. He began to put on his robes, a deacon in a surplice, asked obsequiously for a hot ember. There was a scent of incense. The maids and men-servants came out from the hall and remained huddled close together before the door. Roska, who never came down from upstairs, suddenly ran into the dining-room. They began to chase her out. She was scared, doubled back into the room, and sat down. A footman picked her up and carried her away. The evening service began. Lavretsky squeezed himself into a corner. His emotions were strange, almost sad. He could not himself make out clearly what he was feeling. Maria Dmitrievna stood in front of all, before the chairs. She crossed herself with languid carelessness like a grand lady, and first looked about her, then suddenly lifted her eyes to the ceiling. She was bored. 
Marfa Timofeyevna looked worried. Nastasya Karpovna bowed down to the ground and got up with a kind of discreet, subdued rustle. Lisa remained standing in her place motionless. From the concentrated expression of her face, it could be seen that she was praying steadfastly and fervently. When she bowed to the cross at the end of the service, she also kissed the large red hand of the priest. Maria Dmitrievna invited the latter to have some tea. He took off his vestment, assumed a somewhat more worldly air, and passed into the drawing-room with the ladies. Conversation, not too lively, began. The priest drank four cups of tea, incessantly wiping his bald head with his handkerchief. He related, among other things, that the merchant Avoshnikov was subscribing seven hundred roubles to gilding the kumpala of the church, and informed them of a sure remedy against freckles. Lavretsky tried to sit near Lisa, but her manner was severe, almost stern, and she did not once glance at him. She appeared intentionally not to observe him. A kind of cold, grave enthusiasm seemed to have taken possession of her. Lavretsky, for some reason or other, tried to smile and say something amusing, but there was perplexity in his heart and he went away at last in secret bewilderment. He felt there was something in Lisa to which he could never penetrate. Another time Lavretsky was sitting in the drawing-room, listening to the sly but tedious gossip of Gideonovsky, when suddenly, without himself knowing why, he turned round and caught a profound, attentive, questioning look in Lisa's eyes. It was bent on him, this enigmatic look. Lavretsky thought of it the whole night long. His love was not like a boy's. Sighs and agonies were not in his line, and Lisa herself did not inspire a passion of that kind. But for every age love has its tortures, and he was spared none of them. End of chapters 30 through 32